saints. Glad we can be here today on the day where we can celebrate and remember the Lord's death for us. And uh, it is a special time for us because we do get to celebrate that in the bread that is given to us and the drink of Christ's sacrifice. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, again, we are grateful, Lord, for you, for sending your Son, Lord, in the likeness of man, and him to be our sin-bearer, that he has accomplished everything that we couldn't. Father, we thank you for Christ and everything he is for us. We find our hope in him. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, now as we come to the preaching of your word, Lord, as we come to the communion table, Lord, I pray for our little church here, Lord, that our hearts would be cleansed, our hearts would be pure before you, that none of us would have any ill thoughts or any feelings that are being harbored against someone that would keep us from your table. Lord, if that is true of any of us, may you press that heavy upon our hearts that we would ask for forgiveness and have a repentant heart, Lord, that comes before you as we come to the table. Father, now I ask that you would magnify your son, that we would see the glory of Jesus Christ. We would see the majesty of and we would see his excellence, his holiness and his grace, his mercy and his love as you pour it out in scripture, Father. Please encourage us today, convict us today, and give us fresh eyes as we open your word to see your son in your name. Amen. So, as we've been taking our journey, I've kind of brought this to where Solus Christus would be today as we have communion, so we get to talk about Christ today. But as we've looked at, we've looked at Sola Scriptura, and we've looked at Sola Gratia, or grace alone is what we looked at last week. So we've seen within the Bible we have seen where Scripture is sufficient. This is all we need, and God has said this is all we need pertaining to life and godliness. So we see where Scripture alone is where we find the gospel. Scripture alone is where we see what Christ has done for us. Scripture alone tells us the way to Christ. And then we looked at grace last week. And we questioned, the question I had asked was, is grace truly amazing? And as we sing amazing grace, do we sing it like it's amazing? Or has grace become boring? Just something we hear all the time. Or is it something that is truly amazing? And so we see that so far within our salvation, 
that not only is it Scripture alone, but it's grace alone. There's no work on our part. And so now we come to the, to the thing of Christ alone, or solus Christus, meaning alone. That solus means alone, or one's working. So our salvation is the working of one person. So is our salvation by works? Absolutely. But it's by the works of one person. And that's not us. It is by the works of Christ. Tullian Tavigian wrote a book. And Tullian Tavigian is the grandson of Billy Graham, who has had quite a fall since. But before his fall, Tullian Tavigian wrote a book called Christ Plus Nothing Equals Everything. So it's Christ alone is what we look at. So I'm going to look at a couple of things before we come to the table and what Christ alone is. And it's everything. But we would have to spend weeks and weeks and weeks on sermons to describe this, which I got no problem doing. So but first of all, I want us to look at Christ is our satisfaction. Christ is the one who satisfies God alone. We have to understand in our dead state, right, our radical depravity that we are in, we cannot atone for our sin. Our sin is an infinite sin against an infinite God, an infinite holy God, an infinite just and righteous God. And so there is no way that we can do any kind of works that would amount to satisfy a holy, righteous God. But Christ does that. Christ is our satisfaction. Remember, we are in Christ. Now, this to make satisfaction means is to make, make reparations for damages done, to make amends or to provide compensation. In this case, it is the damage we have done to God's law and honor. The damage we have done to God's law and God's honor. Honor. You and I cannot understand the cross until we understand the honor of God and how serious God takes sin and how his nature and his character must be satisfied. Because we've broken God's law, we have dishonored him. This is sin. Sin is the breaking of God's law. None of us have kept God's law. Not one single person. If you have said a lie, you have broken God's law, and you dishonor God, and the pits of hell are opening up for you. And there's nothing you could do to atone for that one lie. It is simple math. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3. Listen to verses 10, 11, and 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is us. This is the ones who have dishonored God. This is the ones that have broken God's law. He goes on in Romans three nineteen and 20, and he says this. Now we know that whatever the law says... 
it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 20 is where we will look at. For by the works of the law no human being will be justified, will be counted righteous, will be not guilty, because there's no human being that can keep the law perfectly, except one. And that was Jesus. Just as a question to you all, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. In this little room, how many of you did that for one minute this week? This is the depth of our sin, right? This is what it is. But we are in Christ, and Christ is our satisfaction. And Christ did love God with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength, every second of his life. And we are in him. This is the beauty, that Christ is our satisfaction. Listen to what these verses say that Christ came to do. First of all, we see Christ came to serve. He came to serve, right? For Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and how did he serve? And to give his life as a ransom for many. To be the satisfaction. To be our satisfaction. This is what he came to do. To give his life as a ransom for many. He came to redeem us. He came to redeem those who were under the law. This is what Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see the exchange? He came to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse of the law, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He came to redeem us, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And he was unblemished. He had no spot. He was absolutely perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice. And through that, it satisfies God through his death. Listen to Revelations 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God. For God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So we see that he satisfies God. So the cross of Christ alone, the cross of Christ alone is what satisfies, and it brings God honor. As Christ hangs on that cross, he honors the Father is what he does. He honors the Father because he is our sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the sacrifice alone. There is nothing we can sacrifice to God. 
We look back in the Old Testament, right? We see this in the Old Testament where God set up the sacrificial system. But what we don't see is that the sacrifices in the Old Testament system, they did not, they did not pay the price fully. But it was a system that God set up because he's a gracious God for them. And that's what we see. The sacrifice was to atone for the sins, but it really never satisfied God completely and fully. But this is what it was. Listen to Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That is what God did in the Old Testament. They had the sacrifices of lambs, of bulls, of goats, of doves, whatever. Right? If they sinned, they would take a sacrifice. They would take a sacrifice. They continually sacrifice, continually sacrifice, continually sacrifice. But when Christ comes, the writer of Hebrews says that his sacrifice was what? Once and for all. No more continually sacrificing. No more continually sacrificing. He is alone our sacrifice. But it had to be Christ, right? Because of what we said earlier. Our sin is an infinite sin. Those sacrifices were not infinite sacrifices. They were temporal. They were finite. That's how we look at God, right? God is infinite. You and I are finite. And so how does the finite atone for the infinite? It can't. It's impossible. What we needed was the infinite sacrifice. That is what we needed. God hates sin, and therefore he must punish sin. But the punishment for you and I had to be an infinite sacrifice, and that is what Christ is. And this is what Jesus does on the cross. He drinks the full cup of God's wrath for you and I. That's what Mark tells us as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark 14, 34 through 36. And he said to them, this is as Jesus talks to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. It's in agony. His soul is in utter turmoil. It is sorrowful. It is agonizing. This is what he, what he is. This is the state that Jesus is at. And so he says, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This is the cross. We see the humanity of Jesus here. If anything, Father, if it is possible, if there's any other route I can take, let's do it that way. Because the hour is coming when the wrath of the infinite, righteous, just holy God is going to be poured out upon his son for undeserving sinners like you and I and he knows that's coming that hour is coming he knows this is what's coming and he said Abba Father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not what I will but what you will Jesus knew he had to drink that cup 
he knew he had to drink that cup and that's what he does for us because he is the sacrifice so when he drinks that cup we see that Christ satisfies God's wrath for us Christ propitiates God's wrath he is the satisfaction he is the appeasement he appeases God he satisfies God he is the satisfaction is what he does. There is nothing you and I could do to atone for our sin or to make appeasement for God's wrath. But the cross of Christ alone is sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. That's what Jesus does. Hebrews 2.17 puts it this way. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is what Jesus does as he hangs on the cross. He just doesn't have a conversation with the thieves, but he is making propitiation for the sins of the people. He is making propitiation. He is satisfying and he is appeasing God's wrath for his bride, for those he calls to himself. 1 John 4.10 puts it this way. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God knew that we couldn't propitiate his wrath. And so what's he do? He sends his son to do it for us. He sends his son to do it for us. Before even the heavens or the earth were made, this eternal covenant was made where Jesus would come and die for his elect, for his bride. He is the satisfaction, and that satisfaction is in his sacrifice. Remember, the cross of Christ alone is sufficient. Christ alone is sufficient. We need nothing else. Secondly, we see Christ as our substitute. He not only satisfies God's wrath. He's not only the perfect alone sacrifice, but he is the one and only substitute. Now we all understand this word of substitute, right? That it's someone that takes the place of somebody else, right? We always had substitute teachers in school where the main teacher is gone, and so the substitute comes in. And this is what Christ does for us. He is our substitute. You and I need someone to come in our place. We need someone to take our place. But this substitute is no ordinary substitute. But he is the one and only substitute. Jesus is the one who does the meditorial work. He is the mediator. He is the one that comes between God and man. He is the one in the middle. He is the one who does these things. We read this in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one alone, single mediator between God and man. And that is the priest in the Catholic Church. No. The man, Christ Jesus. He is the one and only mediator. Brothers and sisters, if you come from a Catholic background, you don't need to go to Mary. You don't need to go to one of the saints. 
You don't need to go to confession. You go right to Jesus Christ because he is the mediator alone. He is the alone substitute, the one and the only. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He does the mediating work. Hebrews 8, 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Again, in Hebrews 9, 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Christ is the mediator. He is the one that comes between you and I and God and him alone. He does the mediating work. Jesus' atoning work on behalf of us means that God is able now to impute or to give Christ's righteousness to us. This is how we are justified. Christ's death on the cross, it justifies us. He becomes our substitute. This is what takes place. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. The work of Jesus alone on the cross, that means we are justified. His work has justified us. His work gives us peace with God. It is his work and his work alone. We are justified completely and fully. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand this. We are not justified by works. Our works do not justify us. We do not do good works to be justified, meaning we don't do good works to be made innocent. We are already made innocent. We are already not guilty. Now do good works. We can't earn our way to heaven. When any other faith or any other religion says that we have to have works to get to heaven, that is called works righteousness. Righteousness has been given to us because of the work of the righteous one. We have to remember that. We have to keep that in mind. We so easily can become legalistic in our thoughts and in our actions. But our actions and our thoughts should be driven by what Christ has already done. Sanctification never produces justification. But justification will always produce sanctification. Keep that clear in our mind, that we are justified by faith. Romans chapter 4 talks about it all the way. Romans chapter 5 talks about the same thing. That Abraham was counted righteous by his faith, not by his works. He was counted righteous. Emil Bruner wrote this, The most incomprehensible thing that exists is justification. Justification means this miracle that Christ takes our place and we take his. This is the substitution. Christ takes our place and we take his. We deserve to be on the cross. We deserve the wrath to be poured out on us. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be spat on. We deserve to be hit on. We deserve to be flogged. This is what we deserved. We deserve hell. And that's what Christ took for us. 
And that's what he is saying here. Emil Bruner, is, he's saying this. is that Christ takes our place. This is a miracle that he takes our place so that we can take his. Church Father Arrhenius, he put it this way. For the sake of his infinite love, he has become what we are in order that we may, in order that he may make us entirely like him. Because he's our substitute, and he's our substitute alone. The word of God puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sakes he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can sing a song, it's called, His Robes for Mine. He takes our filthy rags, and he gives us his righteousness. Because he's what? He's our substitute. He's our sacrifice. He's our satisfaction. It is Christ alone. It is Christ alone. No works done by us. David writes this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is us now, right? Blessed, is, blessed are you, brothers and sisters, because your transgression is forgiven. Your sin is covered. Blessed are you because God does not count your iniquity against you because of what Christ has done, not because of what you have done or what you have accomplished or the good works that you have done. It's what Christ has done is why our transgression is forgiven and our sin is covered. And God doesn't account our iniquity against us. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. That is the working. That is done. Hiro I, I, these names. Hiroshio G. Spafford. Does anybody know who that is? Right? I know who that is. He wrote a, concerning our forgiveness and Christ being our sin-bearing substitute. This is what he writes. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And then it goes on to say, what? It is well with my soul. This is the writer of it is well with my soul. Horatio G. Spafford. And that's what he wrote. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Do you believe that? Faith Bible, do you believe that? Do you believe that your sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more? Do not walk around condemned. Do not walk around guilty because you are not guilty anymore because you are justified in Christ because Christ's work alone has done that. Do not be guilty. Do not walk around this. So, Three things to look at as we close before the communion. Three things to look at. One, Calvary and not Bethlehem is the center of Christianity. It is the cross that is the center of Christianity. It's not a place of Bethlehem, but it is a mountain called Calvary. It is a cross that our king hung on. That is the center of Christianity. Secondly, the death of Christ on the cross is the focal point of Christianity. 
This is what we focus on, is the death of Christ on the cross. It is the focal point of Christianity. Therefore, there can be no gospel without the cross. When you hear the gospel preached, it has to have the cross. If you hear a gospel preached that does not have the cross in it, it is not the gospel. And thirdly, just as there is no gospel without atonement or the cross, there also can be no true Christianity without the atonement. There's no true Christianity without the atonement. What a precious thing we have in Christ alone. So brothers and sisters, as we look at Scripture alone and we look at grace alone, we see ultimately that it's nothing but Christ alone. Because Christ is the one who gives us the scripture alone. And it is Christ alone who gives us the grace alone. That brings us to salvation. So this now leads us.